May I welcome you to episode 31 of Moving Matters. I am your host, Colin Wynn. I hope Moving Matters will give you an insight to others working or have worked in this wonderful industry as I delve into their past, their present and their future. You will find a new episode of Moving Matters on the second and fourth Thursday of each month. In this episode, we discover that my guest began her career in the industry some 34 years ago. We discuss her challenges, what she would change from her past, her high point, what she would change within the industry, what advice she would give to herself just starting out again, and it's very sound advice indeed that I'm sure you will all agree with, and where she sees herself in the industry in the next five years, and what she does outside of the industry. And as always, we end with a funny moving story featuring a beekeeper. My guest this episode is Miranda Hyder, General Manager of BAR Services. Enjoy. Good afternoon, Miranda. How are you today? I'm very well, Colin. Thank you for asking. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Welcome to Moving Matters. It's been a long time, a long, long time. Been after you for many, many months. <laughs> so I finally got you. Yes, for my sins. So as I have you, can you tell everyone about yourself and the length of time within the industry? I've been working for BAR Services for 30 four years now actually seems like a very long time I had to think about that so I started um, when I was 20 just part-time work from home in the old days before computers we used to do what we called a pink copy which was a bit of a safeguard system sage safeguard system and used to write down in columns everybody's all the details and then add it up at the end and then transfer it over so I used to do that once a week um, and then eventually uh, started working in the office once a week, doing similar, similar accounting systems, really. And then started working full time in 1994, around about that sort of time. My dates may not be quite correct, but around that sort of time. So started, <laughs> started working full time then and have been full time ever since. So was that for Tony? It was for Tony Allen, yes. Yeah. So um, how I originally got the job was that my sister Tracy was working for Tony at the time. And I had my son Ryan when I was 20. And so Tony sort of needed somebody else to help out in the office with the paperwork. So that's how I got my foot through the door. My sister recommended me. Tony, a very interesting man, Tony Allen. Tell me about him. <laughs> Tell me about Tony and how you got started in the industry then. He actually, oh, this is actually telling a little secret, is that my first boyfriend was Tony Allen's son and his name's Simon. And we, um, that's when we were 14. So I've known sort of Tony from those sort of times. <laughs> Very innocent 14-year-olds. But yeah, so Tony, as I said, employed my sister Tracy and then you know, offered me this part-time job to help me out. And then Tracy left to have her kids and I joined full time with Ali at the time. And Tony was just, he's just an amazing person to work for. He's just full of fun, full of stories, full of energy, and an amazing businessman. Taught me everything I know. So, uh, yeah, thank you, Tony. 
<laughs> Thank you, Tony, indeed. <laughs> so can you tell everyone all about BAR Services? Well, BAR Services is um, a trading arm of the British Association of Removers. It's a bulk purchasing organisation, which was set up in 1977 after a study tour to America. I think David Trenchard was um, heavily involved. Derek Blatchford, so the old school people were heavily involved in, they went off to America, saw what they were doing there and came back with the idea of actually standardising the industry boxes that they were using. I think from memory, they were using tea chests and things like that, and all different size boxes, what they could get hold of. And they realised that if they put all their buying power together, they could create a sort of discounted rates for um, most members of BAR. If we were buying the same size boxes, instead of buying 500, we could buy 5,000 or 10,000 yeah. and get the yeah. bulk discounts that way. So that's how it all started. And they actually worked really closely together and created the sizes that we know today as pack twos, pack sixes, pack threes, pack fours. So mainly it was boxes, but then obviously all the ancillary products as well. So, yeah, so it's basically everything that you require for a professional move, we try to supply to members and other industries as well as the self-storage industry. So we became involved in the self-storage industry in, I can't remember the date, but probably around about 2000-ish. We have a strategic alliance with an American company called Move and Store. So we import right. their, their products as well from China, their padlocks and individually mattress bags as well. So we supply to the self-storage industry too. But our main sales are in removal. So 95% of what we sell is removal orientated. BAR Services is actually a not-for-profit organisation as well. It was set up as a not-for-profit organisation and still is. Any monies that were made went back to help the industry, Was went back to customers. Um, in 2008, it was decided during the big crash during that time, um, it was decided that we would sort of work really as close as we possibly could to our buying prices and actually try not to make too much profit so that we could give it back to the members there and then. So to say, actually, it was only the members that benefited from that. So when you say members, BAR, BAR members. members. Yeah. Because bar services, any remover can buy from bar services, is that correct? That's right, yes, yeah. But that's only opened up since we got involved in the self-storage industry. Previously, it was only BAR members that we supplied. What about general public? Yeah, we supply the general public too. That's quite hard work. I didn't realise that. <laughs> yeah, so we can supply, I mean, since, since we introduced, created the website, that was the, the generator really for the general public because we used to get quite a few phone calls from the general public saying, can we buy boxes? Can we buy some boxes to help us move? And we would recommend sort of like going to BAR and finding their local BAR member. But once we spent money on the website, we decided that it was we could offer out to the general public as well at various different prices. So we set up that on the website and, um, yeah, so created more profit to help us run the company and to run the website that way. Do the general public come and buy boxes off you? Or? They do, yeah, yeah. Um, it's not a massive generator. We don't, unfortunately, with um, SEO, we're up against the massive organisations like the Amazons yeah. and the Ikeas yeah. and Argoses. It's just part of helping the cost of the website run effectively. So we get quite a few orders come through and we deliver directly to their residential addresses, but small quantities. 
yeah. what sort of pallet quantities. And we used on national couriers to and any any removal company can order from us and they can order small quantities to be delivered directly to their customers if they want to. So that can be done. Oh neat. Yeah. But mainly it's delivering directly to removal companies, their orders. Yeah, I suppose it's easier to have an Arctic turn up to a removal company to sell, start selling 20 boxes to Mr. Wynn, 40 boxes to Mrs. Jones and yeah, exactly. so on and so exactly. on. Exactly. <laughs> and and it's always the case where the general public have, are going to be in all day, but actually they've popped out to go and pick their kids up from school at three o'clock and that's when the courier would turn up. <laughs> that's always the case. Yeah. <laughs> so what's the gossip in the packaging industry then, Miranda? Gossip. Yeah. <laughs> well, what, why? Why are our why is our cardboard so expensive? Wow, well, it's because of demand. Um, they couldn't keep up with the demand, Colin. To be honest, it's all to do with the pandemic and Brexit and just the, the demand that's happened from mainly from e-commerce. So when uh, lockdown happened, a lot of retail shops decided to offer products online. The companies we buy from supply to various different industries. So the manufacturers we buy from are all UK-based, but they are international companies. So companies like DS Smith Corrugated, Smurfit, Kappa, uh, these are massive corrugated and paper manufacturers. So what they estimated, there's one statistic they told me was that um, in 2019, they estimated that the e-commerce part of their business would grow by... 17% 17% over a 10-year period. So they put in processes and, and budgets to put in new machines, new factories to cover this 17% growth that they would see in the e-commerce. When in actual fact, when the pandemic happened, that first 12 months, it grew by 17%. So wow. what they estimated would be a 10-year growth actually ended up being a 12-month growth. So they didn't have enough capacity to cover demand. So that was based on manufacturing in the UK, also on papers as well. So a lot of recycled papers sort of produced in the UK, whereas pure virgin craft paper, which we do buy to, which is the first part, the virgin craft paper. So the outer part of the box is made of virgin craft. And that comes in from America and Poland and Sweden and various places. But generally, a majority of the box is recycled paper. Right. With the Brexit situation, a couple of them decided that they would try and be UK efficient with the recycled papers and not import any recycled paper. Uh, with the pandemic, a lot of roadside collections weren't happening. So recycled paper became scarce. So they didn't have enough recycled papers for the demand, which e-commerce was pushing them that way. So e-commerce would be all the retail shops, all all products like HelloFresh, Gusto, that took off massively for them, all the online cooking companies that you deliver direct. That was a massive increase for them, as well as the Amazons of this world. I know that some of the Amazon product was pushed out to Belgium and various places to give us more capacity within the UK. And we filled the capacity up straight away. And then our, obviously our removal side was just going really, really well. So that was an issue. They just couldn't keep up with the demand from the UK base. 
they started pulling in papers from Europe, but then they had the Brexit situation where they were sitting in a channel for seven weeks on a boat. Yeah, it's, it's been very difficult for them to get ahead of everything. And it's still, it's still a massive problem and getting worse because the last quarter of the year for most box manufacturers is the busiest time because that's Christmas and that's when people generally order, deliver direct, deliver to home, buy lots of products during the Christmas quarter. So they're expecting that rush as well, as well as the sort of industry levels being high. So um, paper is very, very tight at the moment. The policy within BAR services is our main our main policy is that we continue supply of boxes to our members. That's one of the big things that I work on is that I want constant supply so I can supply members with boxes, otherwise they can't do moves. So we, we have spread our bulk purchasing ability over six different manufacturers. So we have always got various suppliers to use so that we can buy the boxes for members. I think the percentage is around 76% of the cost of a box is paper-based and paper right. is a worldwide commodity. So when there is when the worldwide economy opens up, there's a demand for paper and then obviously that sort of pushes the prices up. So yeah, when, as soon as paper prices start rising, unfortunately the box prices start rising. So that is a big, big issue for us. Um, we've, we're on about our fifth price increase with boxes at the moment. Oh, wow. Yeah. So if you haven't got your boxes in for Christmas, get them in quickly. <laughs> well, I'm in the middle of negotiating another one, which will be October. Um, we've had August increases. They're coming on quite quickly at the moment, which is, um, is, is really difficult to keep on top of. But as I say, the main thing is to have a continuous supply. You know, that's where we, you know, with a, a, a historical trading, with our, our relationships we have with manufacturers, that's where we've got quite strong. You know, we're seen as an important customer to most of our suppliers. So it is... Um, it's been hard work this year. So when, when removers buy materials off you, mm -hmm. let's say ABC removals or whatever buys 10,000 boxes, are yeah. they coming directly from you or are they going then directly from the manufacturer? So do you store these boxes somewhere? No, or? we don't. We hardly store anything, Colin. We literally are just an office with three women in it and that's it. So we, we're like the middleman, really. So we negotiate right. all the pricing. Yep. We negotiate all the terms and then we order direct with them and they deliver directly to our customers. They invoice us, we pay them, um, and then we chase customers for money. <laughs> oh, oh, you don't chase way. people in the removal industry. No. They pay their bills on time. <laughs> Not don't at the you moment guys? because everybody's making money, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> so are there any other um, items apart from boxes and paper that's risen in cost recently? Yes. So plastics has been a big one too. So course, plastics, yeah. they haven't risen as rapidly as the boxes, but they've gone up in bigger increments. Right. So plastics tend to be slightly different. Uh, we've had one increase this year and it varied between 24 and 30% within that increase. That's a massive increase. Wow. But they tend to look at it on a six monthly basis. So products as in bubble blankets, as in the poly mattress bags, that's really gone up in price recently. We are looking at 
alternatives, recycled alternatives. It's another sort of massive thing that I, I want to look into. One of my strategic goals is to try and become more environmentally friendly with the products that we supply to the industry. Yeah. But yeah, so plastics has been a big problem and also tape. Vinyl tape has been a massive issue. Vinyl tape is a product that is only manufactured really in Italy is one of the main countries that manufacture the vinyl. And that has been in short supply too. So that's gone up dramatically in price as well as trying to source the product itself as well. So um, that's and um, within the removals industry, we generally use vinyl tape because you can tear it with your hands. Yeah, yeah. Any other tape you have to use a tape gun or scissors with, but vinyl tape you can tear with your hands, and that's sort of a, and it's a good adhesive as well. So that's why the removals industry like using it. We got any new products? New products, not at the moment. Well, as I say, I am working on actually moving our products into be more environmentally friendly. So it's looking at environmentally friendly alternatives, looking at the different types of plastics. Plastics is a is a naughty word, isn't it? In the you know now within the with the Blue Planet situation. And oh yes. So we don't do plastic. Yeah, you don't do plastics. But within our industry, I think we're not ever going to get away from the fact that you want a a one use mattress bag. <laughs> you know that's that's the thing. So it's trying to find a alternative that's going to be environmentally friendly and. There is so much information out there that isn't 100% correct. It's sort of the general public's point of view of plastics is a little bit different than the industry's point of view of plastics. Yeah. So, for instance, the general public thinks plastics is the devil, whereas the industry knows that, you know, with plastics, if you can recycle it, if you can collect it and recycle it, it can be recycled an infinite amount of times. So right. it's about getting the collection and recycling side more streamlined, more up to date than, you know, for instance, with paper, paper, you can only recycle paper up to about 10 times before it actually becomes a mush. You know, there's only a certain amount of times you can recycle paper. So with paper, you're always going to have to have a pure craft paper in the cycle yeah, because it's always got to carry on. But with plastics, you can recycle it constantly, but it's trying to get it clean and ground properly and then reproduced into a polymer plastic that's good enough for us to use within what we want it to do. So it's difficult. You know, there's different types of plastics you can get. Um, you can get fully recycled plastics. You can get post-consumer waste plastics, which is something I was really looking at. The general public's point of view is... They want to see that we've picked up plastics from the oceans and the beaches and recycled that and put it into what we use. So it's, it's very ocean friendly, but there's not a lot of it around. There's not enough of it around to sort of pull into the demand that we want. So it's, it's a real difficult one because that's quite a nice uh, marketing tool to say that this is made of post-consumer waste, but there's not enough of it around for us to sort of transfer all their plastic products into post-consumer waste products. There is, if you want to pay for it, Colin, that's the bottom line of it all. That's the thing you see. I want to be able to provide a recycled product that's going to stand up to the quality that we need it to stand up to. And at the moment, I'm not finding one that we can. But I am working really closely with a few of our manufacturers to come up with some alternatives. But obviously, 
pandemic and Brexit has got in the way and all these costs. <laughs> but, and it's a big but, do customers actually want that? I mean, it's hard enough to try and get 1200 quid for a local move out of a client. To then say to them, well, do you want these packing materials because they're environmentally friendly, but they're going to cost you a pound extra for each one that you get. Are we actually going to be able to? You will find clients that will want that. Yes. So to offer the choice is great, but is demand actually there? Well, that, that's the thing, isn't it? I think it will be eventually, and that's where... Maybe it's the youth then that want it coming yes. through. Yes, it's obviously the people that can pay for it will pay for it. I well, the youth can't pay for it. They're too busy playing on their PlayStations. They're not <laughs> yeah. earning money. And I think this is where <laughs> a, you know, a conversation with the young movers would be a really good conversation to have about the environmental issues. And you could do that rather soon because there's a young movers yeah. conference going there on. Is. Yes, <laughs> exactly. So it's, it's sort of the next generation and it's about yeah. trying to get there within the next five years. I mean, there's a yeah. plastic tax coming next year and all this sort of stuff. So there's quite a lot going on within the packaging industry. But it's a massive subject. And that's the, that's the thing, because it's, it's what the general public perceive as environmentally friendly may not be. And that's, that's the issue. So what challenges have you had to overcome? Business challenges. Wow. I suppose the main one would actually be uh, when Tony retired hmm. and taking on the business myself with Ali Cowie yep. at that particular point. That, that was a main challenge, was to prove to the directors that we were the right people to carry on running yep. the company. That, that was a, a massive challenge at that time. That was in 2007. And it was a way of proving to them to say that you, you can run it as well as it had been run before. You can take it forward. That was really difficult. But I did have a lot of help. And I must say, so BAR Services, I probably didn't say this at the beginning, it's run by a board of directors. And the board of directors are there. And I report to them every quarter to say, obviously, they check the accounts on a monthly basis. But every quarter, we have a meeting and we talk about the strategic plan of the company and what I'm doing and where I'm taking it. They want to check to make sure that I'm doing what I'm saying I'm doing. Yeah. They're not involved in the day-to-day -day running of the business. They're just a, a board that I report to, and I have support from them as well. And they're all individuals that run their own removal companies that are volunteered. They don't get paid for it. They volunteer to be on the BAL services board. And that changes um, throughout the years that I've, I've been involved. And during that time, the, the biggest challenge, as I say, was in um, 2006, 2007, when Tony retired. The chairman then was Anthony Robinson, and he really helped me um, with the business and also the accounts and, and profit and loss and helped, helped me understand more of that in more detail than what I was ever involved in before. I mean, obviously, with Tony being involved in it, I was generally doing sales and purchasing. I wasn't really involved in the account side. So, you know, that's something I really had to learn. And I had to learn that quite quickly. And Anthony really helped me get there with that too. So that was, that was a massive challenge is understanding the whole of the business um, rather than just certain parts of it. 
It was also taken on the mantle after Tony running a very successful business. The challenge there, being a female as well, uh, was something that I had to carry on too. So um, that was that was very tough. Well, Tony was a well-known individual in the yes. removal industry, so that's a tough mantle to take over. Oh yeah, Tony retiring. And I don't think you could ever take on what he did at all. Yeah, he was just totally different. So I had to be different from Tony. Yeah, you have to put your own mark on it. But how have you actually found it working in a male-orientated industry? Uh, It's been very interesting, shall I say. (laughs) To be honest, it hasn't really been something that has had to be highlighted in my life very much, really. Good, because none of my female guests have said anything different. Good. Which just makes out that this is just such a great industry to be in. Exactly. Yes, it is male-dominated, but there are women involved and everybody just gets along fine. Yes, We all like a good joke and a laugh. We had um, a, a story to tell you. Britannia used to have something called Britannia Challenge and it was set up by Malk Haley and Andy Dickerson. And it was various different things to do at the weekend. So uh, walk the Pennine Way, they did the three peaks. There was cycling from the top of Holland right the way down to Calais. And I got involved in doing some of this by a Tony. And we used to hire a minibus, so me and Tony. And it was the Southern Britannia members and some of the old school guys. And um, I was the only female on this minibus. So we used to go out and get the ferry across to Holland or wherever it was. They were being very polite. They would open doors for me and, you know, they would watch what they were saying and watch what, you know, watch their language. And in the end, Tony suggested that they should just call me Bob because, <laughs> because I was the honorary bloke in the minibus and that was it really. <laughs> so, they, uh, so I was known as Bob for a while. <laughs> so we'll refer you as Bob from now on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so then, Bob. Yes. <laughs> if you could change anything from your past, what would it be? I don't think I would change anything, Colin. I did think about this when you sent me the list of questions and I thought, no, I don't think I would really change anything. I've really enjoyed my life my, and my working life. It's, as you say, it's... A, and continue to. Yeah, and continue to. And it's, a, um, it's a, such a lovely industry to work in. Something you never would have thought of when you were at school. No. Not at all. And it's just such a lovely, friendly industry. And you see so much as well, you know, with all the conferences and, and all, all the, you know, say the different Britannia challenges that I've done. It's just fantastic. And such a lot of friends within the industry as well. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely agree with that. So what is your high point of being in the industry? Well, there's a couple of high points, I think. So we took over running the business from Tony at the beginning of 2007 and we, we took the business to a new height. So the business, in 2007, the business actually went up to over £6 million turnover. Wow. So that was a, a massive high point. And it was, it was a fantastic, that first year of actually being general manager and hitting that six, it was £6.2 million that we hit. Wow. So that was, that was really good. But then 2008 came along. <laughs> so there's one of the challenges, actually, was trying to get through 2008 
that was, you know, our, our sales dropped by 48% during that time. And that's how BAL services set up works really well because it's got no massive fixed costs. So we yeah. don't have any warehouses. We don't have any trucks. We hardly have any staff. That was a challenge to sort of try and sort of continue running that in the business that we were in at the time. So that, um, so yes, 2007 was a massive one for me. What one thing would you change within the moving industry? Now, you're closely linked to the moving industry. You speak to removers probably every day of the week. You must know the problems out there. You must see them yourself. What would you change? Well, I would have said I would want them to charge more for what they their service they offer. Um, but I think that they are um, seeing that now and they're managing to charge what they actually are worth now. And that's the thing. They've always undercut themselves and they've never been good at charging the right price for what they do. It's a very hard job and a very hard industry and they need a lot of investment in the company to run the company properly. And I think that's probably what I would say more than anything is to make sure they continue to charge the correct price for what they offer as a service. That's the problem though, isn't it? Because we're yeah. talking about now. Yeah. Will they continue this <laughs> when sales start to drop off or will they start fighting each other and a race to the bottom line again? Yeah. I kind of hope not. You hope not because their, their actual costs have all gone up. You know, we all know the issues with HGV drivers. Generally, within the general packaging, I know it's gone up between about 30 and 35%. And whether it will drop down next year, it possibly drop a little bit. But whether it will drop all the way down, I don't know. When you talk about packaging, it's like how long's a piece of string, really. It's very difficult to forecast. We'll just have to see. But Cross our fingers. Yeah. And I, I just think they just need to. They, they are a hard-working industry. And they work so hard. And sometimes for little reward, which is such a shame. Yeah, and that's the thing. People don't realise just what's involved. I mean, I've already seen a photo today where the guys have turned up to do 2,000 cubic foot, packed by owner. And there is stuff everywhere. And you just think, well, you're there. You're going to have to just pack it now. But surely, you know, there comes a time where you've got to say, sorry, but I'm not going to do that. Or, yes, we're here. We can pack that, but it's going to be an extra charge. Mm. And people don't realise just how much the guys do. No. And then to turn up and then be you know, to be told you're going to you know, load 2,000 cubic feet and to then find out, well, actually, it's not packed, so you've now got to pack it. That adds time onto the job. That's a cost to the remover. Yeah. Things have still got to change. Yeah, it is. And it's very, very easy for us two to sit here and chat generally about, oh, they should be charging this and they should be charging that. We're not at the cold face, are we, Colin, really? No, you'd never get me doing a removal, no, that's for nor, sure. Nor me. I don't even have no. 2,000 cubic feet. I just, like... phone, I just phone my good friends at Reeves of Petersfield when I need to move. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> plug, plug. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Andy. <laughs> so what advice would you give to yourself just starting out within the industry again? Oh. Well, my advice would be to make sure your liver is very, very healthy <laughs> before you start in the industry. Sure, no one's mentioned that. That's absolutely spot on.
I actually, I'm saying that I actually love networking. <laughs> you are one of the most professional networkers. <laughs> Every bar area meeting, you must attend that, or you're there. Every conference, you're there. I don't know how you do it. You're, you're, you're. No disrespect. No. You're the last one standing and the first one up in the morning. <laughs> I don't know how you do it. I don't know whether you ever. Um saw um, The Wizard of Oz, the second Wizard of Oz. I only saw it once, but the, the actual witch had separate heads. So she took off oh, one no. head and put another head on. Okay. So I, I compare myself to her because I have a conference head. My husband does not know how I do, I do it. <laughs> I, have, I have a head that is just ready for the conference and I can be there till whatever time in the morning and then be up makeup on, down for breakfast, pretend I don't have a hangover, just to continue again. But I'm flat out for the next week afterwards at home. I'm absolutely shattered. <laughs> <laughs> I go back to putting my cosy pyjamas on and slippers on and sitting in front of the TV. <laughs> uh, well, that's that's the beauty of these conferences. Again, it's it, you're with great people and you have nothing but a great time. I don't think I've ever been to a conference and not had a great time. Yes, exactly, exactly. So where do you see yourself and the industry in the next five years? Well, Let's start with yourself. Myself? Well, I'll still be here. As I say, I really enjoy my job. I really enjoy working in this industry. I can't see my, me changing at all. So, yeah, hopefully if everybody will still have me, I'll still be here. Well, they still need packing materials, yeah, so I'm sure exactly. they're going to need you. That's for sure. And what about the industry? Where do I see the industry in five years? Do you see any changes at all? The, the one thing I think, and I'm not sure whether this is right, but probably it's just my, my perception is I would like to see them more environmentally friendly. <laughs> and that's one of the things that I think I've got to try and work on in the next five years. In some respects, I'd like to be able to say, you know, in five years time, look, we've got these products now. These are environmentally friendly products. They're the same price as what you would have been paying normal products, but we're helping the environment, helping our planet to survive for the next generation. And I think that's what, you know, I'd like to, in some respects, be a sort of a legacy really is that we'll have products that will be friendly to the environment. So what do you do outside of the industry to switch off? See, the, the problem is the industry takes up a lot of your time, doesn't it? So, oh, doesn't it ever? <laughs> well, obviously, I have um, two children. Well, they're 34 and 30. And my daughter, who's 30, she has two children. They are nine and four, so they're my grandchildren. So we see them quite a bit. They live up in Norfolk, so we go up there once a month and they come down to see us. We also decided to um, invest in a camper van in 2019. So. We got that, so we do a lot of that traveling. And that personally, I do. Um, I will blame the Britannia challenges for this because <laughs> I do. I I run, so I do a lot of running. Run twice a week with some girlfriends. But the reason the reason I got into that was the Britannia challenge, and it was um, a situation where at the time I was working with Ali, and these Britannia challenges came up, and it was. Run a marathon in Amsterdam, but you don't have to do a marathon. You could do a 10K or half a marathon or a marathon. There was options. 
would you like to join? And I, I said to Ali, oh, that'd be quite nice. Let's have a little bit of a challenge. Let's do this 10K. And she said, yeah, okay then. Then I went off on holiday and I came back and she said, oh, I've got something to admit, Moran. I said, what? She goes, I've entered this for the half marathon. And I went, oh. pardon? I thought we were just doing 10K. Couldn't run for five minutes. So um, I thought, oh, God, this is, this is a bit serious. So I got myself a personal trainer and actually started to run properly and got to a point where yes so that was in about the march and in the october i think the half marathon was in amsterdam so i ran the half marathon and then obviously got the bug so had i done half i might as well do a whole one so i did a whole one the year after no yeah and that was it but that was that was seven years ago now colin i would never i'd done one marathon i would never ever do another one that's just too much the only marathon I'll do is one that's coated in chocolate. <laughs> Same it. here now. So yeah, so I do enjoy I do enjoy sort of running, but it, it's it's a bit jogging and and talking a lot as we're jogging. You can hear us coming, and that's because we're talking constantly. And what's <laughs> with the camper van thing? People seem to be buying camper oh. vans at the moment. Well, we had all I see on Facebook is so and so's bought a camper van. So and so's bought a camper. Why are you buying camper vans? Well, we've we've done a lot of um, we did a lot of holidays, winter holidays over sort of ten years or so when the kids left home, and then um, we decided that we wanted to have a look at camper vans, so we rented one in two thousand and nineteen, and thought, yeah, yeah, we really like this idea. And with a camper van, we you know we can fit it on the drive, so we don't have to put it in storage or anything both of us working still full-time so I sold my car and we ordered this camper van in December 2019 and it got delivered the first week in April 2020 so right at the beginning of the pandemic so it sat on our drive for quite a while this very expensive camper van (laughs) and when we were doing our um uh, family quiz nights. We used to go and sit out in the camper van and do it in the camper van. The only time we <laughs> make use it. of it. Yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah. So that's uh, that's what we did. So yeah, it's it's one of those things that you know you just it's the UK is a beautiful place to tour around and it's just so nice. But yes, a lot of people have got camper vans and motorhomes, haven't they? Now they do indeed. I'd like to progress up to a motorhome at some point, but wouldn't use it enough to pay for it. I haven't got a sporty car anymore, Colin, like you've got. My sporty car's fine for me. I don't need a camper <laughs> van just yet. No. <laughs> it's fun. It is fun. And finally, mm-hmm. I like to end my podcasts with a funny moving story. Do you have one or more to tell? I've got loads of funny stories. I, I knew you'd you. have loads. But I... You must have loads of dirt on loads of people. Oh, I have. I've got a little. <laughs> I've got a little black book, and I'm not ever allowed to um, say. Anything. I bet your Wildman's name is right at the front of that as well, isn't it? <laughs> oh yes, there's lots and lots of information in that book. That black book, <laughs> metaphorical. It's in my head. <laughs> so yes, yes. I, you know, stay up late at night when I'm drinking and listening to a lot of information. Yeah, it's good fun. <laughs> I've stored it all up. So watch out, everyone. <laughs> Oh, God, funny stories that I can actually say. I'm very nervous about standing up and doing talks at conferences, and I've done a few talks. The first one I did was for a Britannia conference at the williams Renault place in Oxfordshire, and it was the Ayrton Senna Theatre, and so I had to stand up and talk there, so that was very nerve-wracking. 
but you look out to the audience and they're all there to support you. So it's one of those things where my voice go, my voice is starts off as normal and then it gets really wobbly as the adrenaline kicks in. So um, there's that one. And the, and the other one I did was when, um, when we took over from Tony, we decided to get rid of the busy bee as the logo. I can't remember the, you know, the little bee. I remember that bee. Yes. Yeah, there was yes. the bee as the logo. So we decided that, okay, you know, we're all girls. Let's, let's get some sort of pink involved in this, this, in, <laughs> this logo. So, uh, well, we didn't, it actually was magenta. It wasn't pink. It was magenta. That's the only way I got it past the directors was a magenta. <laughs> so we came up with the new logo. So I thought, okay, let's stand up at a conference and we're going to have to promote that we've got the new logo for BAR services. So sat down and tried to sort of write a little bit of a speech about it. And then we, we came up with what we thought was a really, really funny first sort of paragraph so conference happened and I think it was the Edinburgh conference I think Matt Purdy was president then so it was literally a five minute uh, presentation I was doing but we decided that I would dress up in a beekeeper's outfit (laughs) (laughs) I had the the beekeeper's outfit on and I, I walked from the back of the room to the stage and I stood up and I was saying, you know, you know, when I was at school, I wanted to be a air hostess or a dentist or what, you know, whatever. I can't remember what, what things I said. I never thought that I would be a beekeeper. <laughs> and, I thought, and we thought it was such a funny line. And it went really quiet and nobody laughed. And it <laughs> was those, those um, you know, it's like they just went. It was like, oh dear, this is really embarrassing. But luckily, I had my beekeeper hat on, so <laughs> it went very flat. But I, nobody could see me going red underneath the beekeeper. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know how you do it. I couldn't do anything on stage. I really couldn't. No, it's it's very tough. I don't. I, no, I'm not. I'm not a natural. And uh, see that going back to um, Tony Allen, that's what he was very good at doing stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But. No, it's um, you know, I don't really got any. I haven't really got any other stories to tell. That I could tell you, really. <laughs> well, Miranda, thank you very much for giving up your time today. I truly <laughs> appreciate you joining me on Moving Matters. Well, thank you, Colin. Thank you very much for asking me. I'm You're very welcome. It's taken a long time, as I said at the I beginning. Know, I'm sorry. <laughs> a long time. Thank you very much. Thank you. I sincerely hope you enjoyed episode 31 of Moving Matters. Please rate, review and subscribe in your favourite podcast player of choice. And please tell your industry colleagues about Moving Matters. My thanks and appreciation go to Miranda Hyder of BAR Services for giving up her time to record this episode. Thank you again, Miranda. If you would like to know more about BAR services and the services they provide, then you'll find links within the show notes for this episode and on our webpage, movingmatterspodcast.co.uk. And please, if you have a funny moving story that can be relayed to our listeners or you would like to be a guest on the podcast, then do reach out to me by completing the contact form on our webpage, movingmatterspodcast.co.uk. Well, that is all from me. So until next time, keep moving.